So we've been in Proverbs, and I was thinking about, we're kind of wrapping up Proverbs today, and I was kind of reflecting on that and thinking, how do you blend Proverbs and Christmas? And the best I could come up with was to tell Kip, make a red slide. Uh, so there you go. No, um, I, I was kind of thinking about it and just the whole idea of wisdom that, that just keeps coming up over and over and just that recurring theme and the idea that God has endowed us with the capacity made in, made in his image to be wise uh, as opposed to being simple or foolish and so that we can use that, that reasoning capacity, the knowledge and discernment to bring about the state of affairs that both we would yearn for made in his image and that he would desire for us. And so I've just been really reflecting on that lately and, and how I think we minimize the role of wisdom. And so the first thing uh, I kind of wanted to share was that this Christmas we can shape things by sharing expectations. Uh, this is speaking to my weakness here, by the way. Uh, the staff will attest to that at Antioch. But it's something I've been learning a lot is uh, the power of, of how you can shape an experience or shape uh, the collaborative element, shape the relationships by sharing expectations up front. I'm, I'm not a communicator uh, that way. I, I run ahead. Um, I always assume people know what it is I'm after or why I'm after it. I don't write things down. I just, I don't clarify. I just assume a lot. So this isn't an area where I'm naturally good, uh, but I'm learning more and more at home with my wife, with uh, the kids, with the staff at Antioch, just in general, the more I can slow down and have a conversation on the front end of something and clarify expectations. This is, this is what I'm expecting. What are you expecting? What is it that you desire? What is it that you're hungering for? What is it that you see? And let me talk about that. When we share expectations, it brings a conversation about and allows us to own something together. Whereas if I come at it with my own individual take, someone else comes at it with their individual take, sooner or later, those are going to come into conflict. And then the conversation is a whole lot different than if we'd had the conversation on the front end talking about our shared expectations. And so by shaping things with, with communication and shared expectations, it allows us to own something together. The word community uh, comes from basically the, the Latin, and it really means to hold things together, to, to co-own something and share something. And so much of life, when, it, when you're talking about uh, a work environment or a family environment, those are things where we share it, we co-own it. We're, it's not an individualistic thing, it's, it's a together thing. And when we talk about Christmas and we're bringing together multiple families and we're bringing uh, all this kind of different traditions, different desires and expectations together, if we're going to really co-own that so that it's a shared reality and it's not just my experience, my desires, what it is I envision, we have to somehow talk about that ahead of time as to what's going to be the shared experience that we're all hoping for or the give and the take that we want to have. And so wisdom coming to bear on something like a holiday like this where we have this natural desire for joy, for togetherness, for love to be shared involves a certain level of sharing expectations and trying to shape the event ahead of time rather than just running into something. And so just been thinking about wisdom and this idea, and we just invite you 
uh, to shape this Christmas by sharing expectations. The second thing is to create by speaking things into existence. Let me read a couple of verses to you. Proverbs 13.3 says this, He who guards his lips guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. How does rash speaking bring about a state of affairs that would, would cause ruin? How, how does that actually happen to where words will affect the reality of life and relationships um, and potentially even bring financial ruin to you? It's amazingly powerful if you think about it, words being able to do that. Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words pierce like a sword. It means your, your words, if they're reckless, can actually cut into somebody, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So the words, the mouth, the tongue, what comes out of the mouth of the wise person is like a salve or like some kind of medicine that brings about life, nurtures life, and brings healing to other people. The tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 15.4, the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. The tree of life is a symbol in scripture. You go all the way back to the, the Garden of Eden. You go to the book of Revelation, this idea of the tree of life. It's, it's the wellspring. It's the symbol of all that, that really anchors and sustains life. It's, it's the core. It's the core. And the tongue that brings healing is a tree of life. So the, the, the mouth, the word, the tongue, the person in your life that, that brings healing, that positive affirmation, whatever it is, whoever that is, that is like a core reality that grounds you, that sustains you, that nurtures you, and that, that gives you the deepest kind of life possible. I mean, it's an unbelievable symbol here. The value and the role of that tongue that would speak into your life. And then juxtaposing in, uh, with the deceitful tongue, the deceitful tongue, rather than nurturing or bringing about life, crushes your spirit. It steps on the core of who you are. Uh, unbelievable power in the tongue. Proverbs 16, 24. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Words out there that are pleasant, that are pleasing, if you take them in, they are, uh, it's pleasure. Pleasant, that means it's, it's pleasurable. It means it, it's something that you can rejoice in and enjoy. It's, it's the, the heart of goodness. And then lastly, Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Uh, I've been, for years now, enamored with this idea of the creative potential that we have as humans, again, made in the image of God. And I don't think we talk about innovation and creativity enough. Um, this morning, we were in the hall, and we were talking about how Vonage, you can talk to somebody in China, and there's no time lag on the phone. And it was, it was this weird thing, like three guys sitting around going, but that can't be. There's a curvature of the earth, and it just it takes time, you know. And, 
And I was, I was sitting there at first thinking like, ah, get over it. Of course, it, it goes fast. And then I was like, no, it can't be. So I'm like, I'm with it. I'm like, it can't be. Like, how does that, how does that happen? Um, I mean, are you guys with me? Isn't that kind of confusing? Like, it, but it takes time, right? How does it miraculously just appear uh, the words over here when they're spoken here? It's like cause effect is suspended through vonage. I'm, I'm totally buying stock um, today. Uh, and so out of, the, out of that conversation, it's kind of like, you know, man, there's a lot of change going on in the world. Um, I was alive before the iPhone. I, I was. I, there was a time in my life when there was no iPhone. Do you guys, were any of you alive before the iPhone? Um, uh, email was my sixth year of undergrad. Some of you guys are figuring out the joke in there. Um, <laughs> but this, that was when email came about. Isn't that crazy? Uh, that's, cra- that's, that's just crazy, right? Um, TV and movies, like, I mean, that's, that's only like a couple generations ago, Right? I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy when you think about how much changes, right? And I think we go into things and we think Norman Rockwell and we think that things are more static than they really are. We think things are more fixed and static the way we grew up experiencing them, the way we remember them. We think that's more permanent than it really is. We have Christmas trees uh, and and such. That didn't really come to America until after the Civil War, and it was uh, Prince Albert and Queen Victoria kind of exporting it. They were the cultural icons, and the British Empire saw its greatest expansion under Queen Victoria. And so not only did it expand, but the culture of England or of Britain expanded along with it. And so you saw all sorts of things kind of changing. But in America, at least, where we take on the Christmas tree, that really didn't really become universally popular until after the Civil War. And, and we think, like, man, this is just a part of what Christmas is. And I was, I was looking at our tree the other night, and I was thinking, this is hilarious. I mean, I, I love it. I don't think God necessarily cares you know, I don't, I don't think he he's like dislikes it or anything like that. But what I realize in that is God's not American. You know, I mean, sometimes I think God's American. Uh, and that his traditions or our traditions are like, certainly our traditions are so old that God remembers when he was a little kid and there was Christmas presents under the tree. <clears throat> you know, I mean, but to step back and realize <laughs> Christmas trees are not the significant thing to God here. Um, and I, I don't know that he thinks it's a bad thing, but I think it's an irrelevant thing to God. And so to realize time changes and things evolve and there's a lot of innovation and a lot of creativity. And so if that's true, maybe we can reflect on the fact that things are changing all the time and that we have the power to change things. I wrote a, a blog post that I wrote into something else um, later on, but it was a realization I had that there's really two kinds of people in the world. And, and I kind of flipped it to organizations. But those who create and those who copy. Those who create and those who copy. Those are the, those are the 
two realities. And I flipped it to organizations because I, I didn't want to, because some of us are more creative than others. I didn't want to be like there's the elite and the non-elite. You know, but in, in teams, teams can function creatively. A workplace team or a family can function creatively by using different gifts uh, and going through creative processes, even if there's not like an artist in the bunch. Does that make sense? But there are creative organizations or creative teams, uh, those that create, and then those that copy. Churches are huge copy realities. We're like big Xerox machines, like what's working, what's the latest 40 days of whatever, how do we look at what people are doing across the road or the street, and then we're the last to wake up, usually, to the fact that like, everything's changing in culture, the conversation is changing, and, but we're, we're big copy kind of things. Does that make sense? Church religion usually is, is all about tradition and it lags, uh, but in terms of institutions, organizations, there are those who create and those who copy. Now, here's the reality of those who copy. They will never lead. They will always follow. Because to copy implies that you're following. Does that make sense? If I'm copying, I'm looking at somebody else and patterning what I'm doing after them, I'm following. If I'm creating... In innovating, I'm, I'm pioneering and I'm blazing a, a new trail. I'm really tapping into, or we are really tapping into, the in innovative, entrepreneurial, creative impulse. And, and there's an unbelievable reality about that. As a family with your kids, you don't have to copy. You can create. It's not what you saw growing up or what everybody else is doing. You can stop and say, what do we want to do different? Where do we want to live? How do we want to set up our culture? What do we want to invest into in terms of time and energy and money? What are the skills that are going to matter most at age 30 rather than age like 11? Um, that's a rabbit trail. Um, so here's the thing. So we get to this idea of words now. In the power of words, and I think we really have to camp on that and say God spoke the world into existence, and he talks about the word, Jesus being the word, and, and all throughout scripture we see this idea of the power of the tongue. There's something that scripture reminds us about that I think we forget. We think words are just communication devices. It's purely relational, and we kind of leave it at that bland level. And I think scripture calls us to and reminds us that words are incredibly powerful and incredibly creative in their effect. In other words, I can't do anything about this moment past to change the world. Does that make sense? I cannot change anything about the world starting a second ago in past. It's completely utterly fixed and I can't touch it. My hands cannot reach the past, have any kind of influence, any kind of effect. However, in the present, my words bring about realities. When I sign a contract, when I give a verbal contract, when I say I do, when I look at somebody and speak into their life and, and breathe 
sparks of life and nurture and bring about a, a sense of feeling loved or appreciated or valued or somebody awakening to, to possibilities they didn't know existed, but I see in them and, and the gifts they have or what they can do with their life or the fact that they're loved and cherished, whatever I can create that way. Or I can also use my words to cut you down and keep you where I'm more comfortable with you. Or I can use my words to pit you against you, against you. Or I can use my words to just vent and try and poison the whole thing. I mean, I could literally walk up here on a Sunday morning and drop an F-bomb or two and chase half of you out of this room. Do you realize I, I, could, I have the power to do that any given Sunday? I'm looking at Neil because he's an elder. Neil, I could... I could make all these people leave and it would cause such budget issues. <laughs> like, I have that power. Just, doesn't it make you want to exercise? No, I'm just kidding. Um, our, our words are incredibly powerful. We don't take into account how powerful they are and that we can create. If we stop, if we think, if we try, if we imagine, we can create realities with our words. And so what I wrote here is create by speak, speaking things into existence. So Proverbs, if it teaches us this, what does the wise person do when we reflect on this? We walk into the holidays and we speak realities into existence. Don't worry about the presents. Don't worry about the hustle and bustle. Don't worry about the food. Speak things into reality. In your kids, with your spouse, with a family that has had family tension for, for a generation or two, speak grace and healing back into that. Think about it. Get creative with it. Prioritize it. But this Christmas, um, create something. And I think that, if we, if we pray about it, if we wrestle with it, that can be so honoring to God that we would use what he has given us to bring about the state of affairs he would have for us. The third thing is just this. Make memories by serving. You guys know, or you've probably heard me say, I'm really big into making memories. I think it's how you create culture. Uh, when, when, we're, when, you're, when, when my kids are my age, they're going to have 12 dominant memories. Six of them I probably can't control. Six of them I can. And so I've, I make it my business as a dad to say, I want to own those six memories. I want to own those. I, I want to speak those into reality. And how do you do that? Uh, tradition and making lasting memories, um, being intentional about it. And the, the way to really do that is through this thing called serving. What is it my kids value? What's their perfect idea of, of Christmas or time with dad? Uh, we watched Home Alone last night with my kids. That came out my junior year of high school everything's changed since that movie. Like, what's funny has changed since that movie, you know. Uh, I mean, there's just a whole lot, right? And then I, I, 
but I, I, so I thought I was going to put it on for my kids and then walk away because I wanted to give them a good Christmas memory. And then I was like, no, I'm going to sit here and watch it with my kids. And by the end, I was crying, right? And I cried two times. I don't cry. I, I really, uh, those of you know, that know me know I, I don't really cry. I cried two times during that movie yesterday. One was this. When the mom and dad are in Paris and the mom's trying to get back to her kid, okay? And here's the funny thing. It wasn't because the mom is in Paris and the kid's at home and the mom's trying to get back. I, I, that didn't even register. What registered was the dad had planned this vacation for his family in Paris for years. This, this like perfect vacation. And it was all exploding. And it really like just touched me like this pain and sadness because I've been planning. I mean, that's, I live for like creating space where it's this perfect little dad reality of me and my family and all that. And I got so sentimental and like broken up over this dad's plan getting, getting ruined. I actually started crying and, and uh, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. Um, but then at the end, I started crying because uh, they did want me to cry. Uh, I got choked up. No actual tears, but, but here. Uh, <laughs> But the, the granddad that hadn't talked to his son in like 20 years, and Macaulay Culkin, the little angel that we all know he was and is, and had, had reminded the dad that uh, gra- y- y- grace, you, you, can, you can pursue it and you can fix things and, and be creative that way. But uh, um, I know I wasn't trying to talk about Home Alone. It was um, making memories. Uh, I want to I wanna be intentional about those six memories, and it's what my kids need. It's where they're at. It's not what I want. Um, so it's by serving. It's, it's not by getting. And so here's the great thing about serving. Nothing you give can ever be taken away. Nothing you give can ever be taken away, but things you receive can be taken away. I learned that when Antioch was a year old and there was a church planner in town and I kind of felt like God was saying, um, it's about the kingdom, Ken. It's, it's, about, it's about me and it's about all that. It's not about competition. And so I was like, ah, but we're like small and, and we only have this many people, God. I, I mean, how do I? And God was like, it's <laughs> the health of your church and the growth of your church has nothing to do with you and you trying to control it. And so we put that guy up in front of the church, had him preach, and we said, anyone who wants to go be a part of a new work, go with this guy. And 20-something people went. And it was the best decision I ever made. It purified my motives. It taught me that God really is in control of this church. And what I realized is, is long, if Antioch were to go away tomorrow, what happened with those 20 people leaving could could never be taken from me. You guys can be taken from me. The people we gave away can never be taken from me. On my deathbed, I can be talking to my grandkids and I can be telling them about this and saying, listen, what you give away cannot be taken from you. Our kids are learning today the five love languages. Uh, if you guys know that whole thing, the, the words of affirmation and, and physical touch and time spent, quality time, and, 
in gift giving and whatnot. And one of them is acts of service. And so the kids are talking about how to give love and receive love. And, and one of the ways this Christmas, if you really want to make memories, is by serving. It's a form of giving love. It's a form of saying, I can't always control whether my perfect picture of Christmas comes about. I mean, I really, I can't make all you make it perfect for me. And even if you did, maybe I'm not in the right mood and it, and it just doesn't come off magically the way I dreamed it up. Does that make sense? Like, I'm not in control of getting my perfect Christmas. But I am in control of helping you feel loved, appreciated, being able to enjoy the vision you have for this Christmas with your family or your loved ones uh, or feeling value or appreciated or rested even. I, I, I am in control of serving you. And to the degree that I don't think about my own interests but I think about serving you, that can never be taken from me. And so as we're thinking about this idea of holding a Christmas or holding community or holding extended family together, that we, we share it, we co-own it, it's, it's all of ours, we can come to this idea of as I pour into the system by serving, I can, I can help create a communal reality that wouldn't have been there otherwise. I have the potential for that. With my words and my intentions, I have the potential for creating this reality. And it doesn't matter whether it's my desired reality or not. I get to enjoy this and nobody can take it from me. If you turn to Galatians real quick. Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> there's, a, there's a flu going around. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Anybody have any cough drops? Uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says this. You, my brothers, were called to be free. In other words, when you're, when you're set free in Christ, when there's really grace in your life, you've been called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature Rather, serve one another in love. I mean, listen to that. You have this freedom to go out into the world and to bring about states of affairs. You have, you have the ability to create realities. You have that power. You have that influence. You have that freedom. Paul's saying, don't go use that to indulge your sinful nature, to, to think only of yourself and gratifying self. Rather, serve one another in love. Verse 14 says, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So you're free to serve. And that is an aspect of fulfilling this single command that sums up the entire law, which is to love each other as you love yourself. There's uh, a thing about serving in America... The slave versus serve. Um, the word slave, by the way, is something I recently learned, comes, um, it goes back to the word Slav. Uh, when the Ottoman Empire came into existence in, uh, in Istanbul, uh, Constantinople, there were slave markets and they would go into the Caucasus and, and the Baltics and, and get people and they would sell them into slavery, and that's where the word slave comes from, predates the uh, 
transatlantic slave trade, the African slave trade, and it basically comes from the word slav, um, and then slaves. And this idea of taking and selling somebody into service where they are not creating, they're only responding. Where they're not intending, uh, they're only having to do and obey. Um, and so there's something so different when Paul starts this by saying you're free to go and serve. You're free not to think about your own issues, but to care about somebody else's burdens. You're free not to try and think of your own joy and pleasure this Christmas, but to look at somebody else and try and hold in your hand what it is that's going to make them happy or, or, or be able to give them delight and make them feel valued and appreciated. We are free to go and to serve others. And so this Christmas, you know, just thinking, coming off the book of Proverbs, I pray that we would do it with intentionality, that we would do it being fully aware of our own influence and our own power to create, that we would shape by sharing our expectations ahead of time, we'd create by speaking things into existence, and we'd make memories by serving one another. Uh, and let's go ahead and close in prayer, and then the, the uh, worship team's gonna come back up. Father, I, I pray that you would help us avoid being so religious that we don't do any earthly good, that we get so caught up in, in uh, spiritual talk that we miss the fact that everything is spiritual, that our words are spiritual things, our body language that communicates is a spiritual thing, the way we serve, the way we act, the things we share, the intentions we have for the, those around us, they all have a spiritual component a very common and basic component. And I just pray you'd help us see those little things, get excited about the creative impulse you've put in us, that you'd help us go into this Christmas seeing and dreaming bigger realities and possibilities than just going with the flow and reacting to whatever irritates, whatever bothers us, or what we want in that particular moment. So I pray that you would use us to bring healing to our family and our friends, that we might worship you through the common things of life. We pray that in Jesus' name.